Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. I don't actually know what number this will be, not that anybody particularly cares, but uh, yeah, this is, we're recording this so far in advance that I'm not exactly sure when it will be going up. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about the Best Picture winner for 1980. We are making our way back, and we've made it uh, quite a ways, actually. So I will now welcome in my co-host... Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Good. All right. Great. So now that's out of the way. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were talking something about assembly line about that. Wasn't there a little bit? Yeah. It's just like, yeah, we get it. I don't actually care how you are. Right. You'd rather not be talking. No one cares about whether or not. Yeah. People know, don't like the show. <laughs> um, no one's listening. These aren't on these mics, are they? Yeah. Yeah. No. There's so. no actual show. It's yeah. a, there's an elaborate ruse. And if ever you go to the website, to yeah. show that there's a thing. Yeah. I just found out that there's not actually any internet. I didn't know that. I thought it was real all this time. Yeah, it's just a, like people are uh, like taping uh, things to the screen of your computer yeah. really quick. Yeah. Um, moving on. So the winner of Best Picture for 1980 is Robert Redford's Ordinary People, written by Albin Sargent and based on the novel by Judith Guest. So, <clears throat> Ordinary People. All right. Uh, I first saw this in high school and I loved it. I thought it was really great. I thought there were some really interesting things that the film was exploring, uh, things that have since been explored many times over, um, in regards to, you know, suburban or well-to-do families and, uh, what might be simmering underneath. Mm -hmm. What I like about this film is that I feel like there's not a great deal of condemnation, even for the, uh, the mother character, the Mary Tyler Moore character, who is seen as something of an antagonist, but there's still like, I think there's even still a sympathy for her. Yeah. In that like, she is also, she's also oppressing herself along with other people. But mm-hmm. anyway, sorry, I, I jumped into it way too quickly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I really loved the movie. Um, I thought the acting was wonderful. I thought it was very well written. Um, I liked the pacing of it and all that. So uh, before we get further into it, as I already have, um, I'll ask you, when did you first see it and when did you last see it? I think I've only seen it once. Um, I'm pretty sure it was near the end of college or shortly thereafter. Um, Kind of when I was seeing all the ones I hadn't seen yet. Because that's not one of the ones that as many people remember probably because it's not as big of a uh as big of a movie you know like people remember stuff that's big or showy and things yeah. like that um and because this is like a small um s- slower pace more intimate film yeah um it, it isn't one that necessarily jumps to the to the forefront of people's minds so there are a lot of others that i knew more about best picture ones going into um and this was probably later on the list of ones that i saw but i remember liking it very much and um uh, yeah, yeah, we we can get more into it, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. I'm trying to think where to even where to even start, and you know, I don't want this episode, this mini episode, to be too long. So I'll say this. Uh, yeah. Okay. We'll start with this. So every once in a while, there's uh, like let's say 1990 or 1994 or whatever, uh, a movie will win Best Picture. That is a very, very good movie. Uh, sometimes even a great movie. But film students will come to eventually hate that movie because hmm. it won Best Picture over something else. Ah. 1980, Ordinary People won Best Picture over Raging Bull. Hmm. And 
that caused people, uh, you know, film students and, and people that I know to really turn on ordinary people if, if they were ever, you know, in favor of it in the first place. Um, <clears throat> because they act as though it is somehow ordinary people's fault that it won best picture. Um, and so, uh, this is something that I've, you know, gotten feedback on at, at BP. Um, I think I personally prefer ordinary people to raging bull. Uh, I think raging bull probably deserved to win best director. Uh, mm-hmm. but from a, and certainly best actor. And, and, uh, I think it won some other things as well. But, um, but for myself, I find the character in Raging Bull of Jake LaMotta so horrendously unpleasant. Hmm. And basically all of the characters. And it's just, it, this is not a, a world I enjoy spending time in. Not that I really enjoy ordinary people. <laughs> There's some pretty rough stuff there. But but I feel like I am rooting for things in hmm. ordinary people. I sympathize with people. I have no sympathy for Jake LaMotta. I have no sympathy for any of the characters in Raging Bull. Hmm. That's a personal preference. And I, and I feel like, honestly, there's, um, I do think that, uh, being able to sympathize, not like, there are plenty of characters that I don't like, but I sympathize with, mm-hmm. uh, in movies. But, um, I feel like, sympathizing with a character or with um yeah i mean with your protagonist um i feel like that's something that is not really valued uh amongst film people uh Mm -hmm. especially when the tech when the film technique is there as it undoubtedly is in uh raging bull yeah um but to me it's like okay that's that's a lot of technique uh and i even like some of the themes explored but like good for you. That's great. I hate these people Mm. and I don't want to spend time with them. And maybe that's the idea, but I can't quite tell. I don't know. Mm. Um, I think it's, I think it could be argued that raging bull is the better film in general, certainly from a stylistic standpoint, but I think I much prefer ordinary people between the two of them. I Mm. much prefer, prefer ordinary people. Mm. So that's me. And I don't know. What do you think? I prefer Raging Bull. I, I like Ordinary People. I like both films a lot. Um, but I think I like Raging Bull more. I don't feel the same thing that I, that I'm so disconnected for the character, from the characters. I think like. Oh, I'm not disconnected. I hate them. <laughs> okay. There's well, a difference. I don't feel like I hate the characters. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're the types of characters in films that I just look at as very broken characters who don't even understand how badly they're broken and are trying to, trying to be something that they're never going to be maybe a little mm. bit. Um, there's kind of a sadness in that. And that's something I like about that. And, and, uh, the idea of, of a person who, who is a dumb low class guy like Jake LaMotta, who is somehow able to get to a point where he's on top of the world mm-hmm. and, uh, without understanding how he got there and who doesn't realize what it actually meant to have gotten there until it's too late. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's a lot I like, I like in that. And plus I, I'm really partial to both Robert De Niro and, uh, uh, it is Joe Pesci, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. For some effect. And I was like, am I thinking of Goodfellas? Um, but, uh, no, you're thinking of casino. <laughs> oh, that's what, I'm, um, but yeah, I, I really like both of those actors. So I think that brings a lot for, uh, a lot to it for me personally as well. I should specify it. When I say I hate the characters, I, I mean, there are villains that I hate, but I don't mm. think I, I don't think I can hate these people because as you mentioned, they are deeply broken and they are v- very much a, f- very much a victim of their own nature. I think mm. one yeah. could say, 
Um, again, that doesn't mean that I want to spend time with them. Um, it should be noted, and and I think maybe the 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 type of characters, and we're talking about Raging Bull now. We'll get to ordinary people in a minute. I, honestly, it seems somehow appropriate that we are now talking about Raging Bull because in most film circles, if you're if you talk about ordinary people, you will eventually get to Raging Bull because hmm. because people in make this that. yeah you'll talk about you can't talk about Dance with Wolves until without getting to Goodfellas at some point yeah. or Forrest Gump without getting to Pulp Fiction like it's a thing that happens pretty often mm-hmm. you can't talk about the King's Speech without talking about Social Network it just happens so anyway yeah. um <clears throat> but yeah I think I think there's just a lot of uh, specific buttons that get pushed uh, for me when I watch Raging Bull mm-hmm. uh, and that's because there's there's a great deal of uh, machismo in Mm -hmm. uh raging bull that i personally have a problem with for a bunch of reasons but of course martin scorsese is not saying that this is a good thing by any stretch of the imagination um i'm currently oh my gosh i'm so sorry i'm currently making my way through another season uh through an older season of survivor that i have already seen but i haven't seen in a couple of years and uh rob sessionino has has released these uh sort of these retrospectives on these seasons, which I hmm. would listen to and then it makes me want to rewatch them. And so oh, cool. I'm, wa- I'm watching this one and there's a guy whose name is James, but he looks a lot like Sylvester Stallone. So th- his nickname becomes Rocky and he is monstrous. <laughs> and there's another guy named Anthony who's something of a nerd. And Rocky is so verbally abusive to him, <laughs> telling him how he should act as a man. Hmm. Uh, and, what gets me is that anybody who watches this, whether it be Jen or me or certainly Rob Sesternino and, and his co-host Josh Wiggler as they're talking about these things, nobody likes Rocky. They recognize what he is. He is a bully. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is Jeff Probst, the host of the show, is such an alpha male and he's and he likes alpha males so much that there is that in all the questioning and stuff, there is no doubt he is on Rocky's side and <laughs> really? not Anthony's. <laughs> and so, and you watch that and, and, or I watch that and I think like, Oh, there it is. I can absolutely, I see who I am and I see who some people that I knew in high school were <laughs> and all that. Um, and so there's a, there's definitely, there, there's an instinct within me when I watch something like that or watch raging bull and just see the way these characters carry themselves and that that is how they define that's how they define how a man acts. Mm-hmm. And even though we know that that's not correct, uh, I think it touches on something inside me mm-hmm. and I wind up being kind of defiant of that. Hmm. And so I think I probably rebel against Raging Bull more than I would if I didn't have my own, not even, not even insecurity issues. I know that that's not what masculinity is. And anybody saying, Oh, hey, you want to know what masculinity is? Watch Raging Bull. Like no <laughs> one would ever do that. That's horrible. Um, but I think it just, it, it taps into something very primal in me. And I think Raging mm. Bull is a primal film in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and so I think I have my own issues with it as well. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the film's fault, ex- except maybe it's too effective, <laughs> uh, for someone like myself. Yeah. It's fine. I, I don't feel that, you know, I don't feel that with this film, but I, I think I can identify to, I think I feel that way sometimes in, with films and TV about like trailer trash. Okay. In the way that I just, I feel uncomfortable and I don't want to be in this world. And even if, even if they're like 
good characters. Like I, I can't stand the show King of the Hill and I like Mike Judge's sense of humor, but hmm. something about that show and like that world of just trailer trash people. Yeah. I, I just, I don't want to be there. I don't like it. I don't which like, is fa- which is fascinating because I'm a lot of those characters. They have foibles and stuff, but Mike Judge clearly loves them. Right. Which yeah. is fascinating to me. Yeah. And the fact that you're even saying trailer trash is fascinating because <laughs> one could say that's a derogatory term <laughs> yes. of characters that are not inherently negative. <laughs> well, you know, actually, they don't even live in trailers, do they? Well, some of them do. I think I think, I think one of them does. Yes. One guy's got to. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it is interesting. I mean, we just respond to certain for whatever reason. It, do, do you know why you respond that way? No, I don't know. Just, it's, I, don't I don't have know. like bad associations with particular like. Uh, low class Southern people. I, I don't know. Like, I don't, is it, is there a, and this, I'm just asking. So you lived in, you were born in Texas, yeah. lived in North Carolina, which yeah. is not necessarily the South, but people mm-hmm. think of it as the South. Yeah. Um, do you watch that and you almost want to say like, well, I'm not like that. No, no, no. Hey, we're not like that. No, not at all. Like it's not, it's not anything that I, that I feel like it's making fun of the South more than it should or anything like that. It's, uh, I think it is about a particular world within the South Mm -hmm. that I just, I don't like and I'm not interested in. It feels like an unpleasant place to be. Yeah. It's, uh, so I guess that's what, and now of course with raging bull, it is often very unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, so we've been talking about Raging Bull more than we should, <laughs> I would say. Um, so yeah, it, it is certainly a film that will always get a reaction from somebody. Yeah. Um, but I think ordinary people will too, but yeah. in a different way. It's more of a slow burn, more yeah. of a, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different type of, uh, of, uh, terrible situation that these people have gotten themselves into in one way or the other. And when you think about it, Raging Bull and Ordinary People, in their own way, are exploring similar things. Yeah. These are characters who are behaving in a way based on the culture that they are a part of. Yeah. And one of them says, basically, go with your emotions at all times, Mm -hmm. no matter how dark they get. Mm -hmm. And the other is, never show anything. Yeah. Ever. It's it's like like the Italian-American approach and like the very British approach. Yeah. To kind of the same thing. Yeah. Like ignore problems, uh, go with a sort of, you know, follow a, uh, a cultural mandate that, no. um, focuses on the surface kind of. And both films kind of have a, a tragic quality to them. And, and when you look at ordinary people, uh, you know, hopefully I, I don't necessarily want to spoil it, but there is one character who, who basically cannot let go of this culture. Hmm. And because of that, this character is, I won't say doomed because you never know. Hmm. Uh, once the movie is over, who knows what will happen to this person. Yeah. But, um, but Jake LaMotta is basically doomed. Yeah. And this character probably is as well. Anytime these characters just fully embrace this thing that says this is how you need to act, even though there's no particular reason for it, yeah. um, then that character is going to wind up doomed. And uh, whereas there are other characters and ordinary people who choose to get away from that mm-hmm. and there's hope for them and it's, yeah. and it winds up being a, a moment of triumph, albeit a bittersweet one yeah. because it means, you know, the family is kind of tearing apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, ordinary people is it's, you said it's, it's a slow burn. It's, it's directed in it, with a very, I won't say leisurely pace, but a very, uh, methodical, pace where it just mm-hmm. 
you know, methodical even makes it sound like, like it's, I don't know, like it's efficient or something like that. Yeah. It's more just uh meditative. Maybe I'll that's, say that's, that. Yeah, that's it's a meditative right. pace. And, um, and it's basically about this family, uh, uh, husband, wife and son. And then they had another son who died in a boating accident. And then the, the, that's their older boy, their younger boy, uh, was there as well, could not save his brother and blamed himself and then attempted to kill himself. Mm. And he has just gotten out of the, uh, the hospital or the, the, I guess mental institution or whatever you'd want to call it. Uh, and so he's trying to kind of get back into his real life. And what's interesting, and I, it's so, man, one thing that I find fascinating about this film is that in that situation, of course, everybody's going to be very careful. Mm-hmm. They're careful with how they talk to him. Yeah. He's careful with how he relates to other people. Yeah. Everybody is just constantly walking on eggshells because they don't want to send him off. He doesn't want to send them off because he's very aware of like, he knows how people are treating him. Yeah. Um, you know, I, by way of personal example, I, I've never experienced this exact thing, but you know, anytime you've experienced some kind of trauma, it could be grief. It could be, uh, you know, a divorce or something like that. Um, people looking and they're like, okay, how is this person reacting? But then that person's like, how am I supposed to react now? Yeah. And this film captures that wonderfully, which makes it often excruciating. Mm-hmm. Like when, the, and because that's underneath and what's on, what's on top of that is what appears to be very casual and very, uh, light. Mm-hmm. But it's basically you, it's just what the film often is, is a study in characters, not saying things. They're still talking, but they're not saying anything. Hmm. And that's, that I think is a, is a little bit of brilliance. Yeah. Talking with avoiding. Yeah. Actually saying anything. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that I remember about this movie is that it is a very sad movie. Yes. Um, what would you say to, uh, has there been the criticism, um, that the film is too sad or humorless or anything like that, which isn't something that I remember feeling. Then again, I enjoy Bergman films and there's not a lot of, not a lot of laughs in the seventh seal, but, uh, I don't know. Is that a criticism? And if so, how would you respond to that? I think there's a difference between sad and mournful. Um, this is a film that is very mournful. This is a family that is kind of in mourning and trying to figure out where they land. But then also you get, Okay, so I think a lot of it is hinged on the Timothy Hutton character named Conrad. He's the kid who has just come out of the hospital and is trying to figure out where he fits in with his family and with the rest of the world. And because he, if it stuck with just Donald Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore, then I would say the film is just sad and it it would be oppressively sad. Mm -hmm. But by having this guy be, you know, just basically a kid and it's written very well from his perspective and... And it doesn't overwrite him, which I think is a great call. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is organically sad. Hmm. I think there are movies that decide I'm going to be very sad now and we're going to play that up and that's what we're going to be. That's this true, is a yeah. film that's like we're going to be true to these characters and the characters are sad. Yeah. And so that's what it's going to be. As, as kind of a counterpoint, one movie that I do think of as being kind of like that, which was from a few years earlier, I believe. Uh, actually, maybe quite earlier, was uh, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, I never Alan saw it, Hunter. actually. 
that's one that I felt like just feels like it's trying to be sad. It almost feels like too much. And I, it's based on a book and maybe the book is, is great. I don't, I haven't, I haven't read it, but that seems like that sort of thing that you were talking about to me. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it is a, it's a thing that does happen. I can't, I can't even immediately recall it's, I don't like to necessarily think that way about movies, especially in, uh, emotionally where it's like, Oh, it's, it's trying to be this because maybe people will take it seriously or whatever. Yeah. I don't feel that way about ordinary people. It is sad. No. Yeah. I, I don't ever feel like it was emotionally manipulative, which I think right. this sort of thing could fall into. It, and I've certainly seen movies like that. Part of the, as a lonely hunter is probably one of them, but uh, th- this doesn't feel like that sort of film. It almost feels like the two movies that I'm thinking of as being kind of similar to it. This is weird. One of them is don't look now, which is, possibly because it's not down down in southern yeah. and it has a child that dies um spoilers that happens at the beginning right i've never seen it oh that that happens at the beginning a kid dies well now i don't need to see the movie i guess <laughs> um but that then is about like the strain in their relationship after mm-hmm. that and dealing with this this thing that's happened before and then weirdly like something about the exorcist and the weird stillness in the midst of something terrible that's happening I don't know. There's something interesting. There's something about that that I I'm connecting those two in my, in my head. I'm not totally sure why. But do, do you kind of get that? Like, I can think of these slow sh- the 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 shots. Honestly, that stuck with me the most from The Exorcist are not the the ones with the girl or the ones with the yeah. faces of the devil or whatever. Um, it's the quiet moments downstairs. Yeah, downstairs in the house, yeah. or even kind of like up in the attic and stuff like that. And it's uh, it has that uh, exterior facade of comfortable yeah. suburban reality but we all know that very terrible things are happening yeah that's, so there's that's I, the world of ordinary people i think yeah i can see it the idea that uh, behind these very nice walls there's tremendous uh, by when i say walls i mean both physically and emotionally uh there's tremendous turmoil going yeah. on and you have characters yeah like in the exorcist you have you know, okay, we've dealt with uh, the girl as much as we can today. We are now downstairs. Uh, can I get you some tea? Yeah. It's like, tea? Yeah. <laughs> what? Who can think of tea at a time like this? But it's 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 the idea that, like, this is a thing she needs to cling to to keep her sanity. Because yeah. if you let yourself give in to all of these things. And, you know, and then this is a family that's grieving. And so, like, yeah. if they let themselves give in to that 100%, then you go insane. Right. And there is this idea that life does have to go on. Yeah, there's there there's the necessity to achieve some kind of normality in yeah. a situation that is not normal. Yeah. And then, but then the question is, how much do you strive for that normality? How much of the grief do you put to the side? Like, right. You do have to acknowledge it yeah. at some point. And so I think it's that, I think it's, it's that, um, complex, that emotional complexity I think makes ordinary people so fascinating. Um, and I think the actors all do wonderfully. Donald Sutherland, uh, it's maybe my favorite, one of my favorite performances of his. Mary mm-hmm. Tyler Moore is putting out stuff that certainly people had not seen of her at the time. And I think that was a fantastic casting choice. Yeah. I think that's one of those ones that was, I almost want to say it's an almost ins- a little too dead on in a way. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I, I think uh, maybe it speaks to Robert Redford that I, he was able to say, like, I think she's going to be able to do something with this that yeah. speaks to both of both the way that popular culture thinks of her. Yeah. But that actually is something much different and, and ends up serving the story more. You know, it reminds me in a number of ways. And this actually goes back to what you're talking about, a film that 
that I still respond to, but might be trying a little too hard to be a certain type of sad. And that's Revolutionary Road, which I haven't seen. Um, great acting. Like that's the thing. There's enough there. I mean, I, I do own it. I bought it for five bucks, but, um, there's enough acting wise that, uh, I do feel the desire to return to it from time to time, but it's so disheartening. I mean, these characters are so doomed, but it's worth noting that the casting choice was Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. And it's about a marriage that is bad and is falling apart. And by casting, you know, the lover, the, the lovers of our age, yeah. you know, because of Titanic, um, it almost feels like Sam Mendes is trying to make a comment. And by casting Mary Tyler Moore, um, who was in, of course, the Mary Tyler Moore show, but also and in Laura Petrie. Yeah. Like, um, just like the perfect wife and all yeah. that and by casting her, you know, it's, she's great. She really lives up to it. But, um, but you almost feel like just the very fact of seeing her, it, it winds up sort of casting a light on these past characters that she has played as well. It's like, well, maybe this was underneath Laura Petrie as well. Mm. <laughs> oh. Um, but she's marvelous. Judd Hirsch as the psychiatrist does a great job. Those scenes are riveting, I think, between Timothy Hutton and Judd Hirsch. And what I like is that, again, his character, because there's a, a crustiness to him and because, you know, he doesn't he's not a reverent character. He feel he's similar to like a uh, like a Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, you know, like he's just going to tell it like it is and see how you respond and all that. And it's a really Really good performance. Uh, Timothy Hutton, who won Best Supporting Actor and shouldn't have because he's the lead. But, of course, no one was going to beat Robert De Niro, <laughs> so they put him out there as support. Like, that is not a supporting performance. Mm. That is a lead. Yeah. The only supporting performance in the bunch is Judd Hirsch. Yeah. Like, all three family members are leads. But um, but Timothy Hutton does, I think, a wonderful job. Um, it's interesting to see where his career has gone as he's uh, become an adult. Um I think he has never quite matched this, per the, the power of this performance, maybe because he hasn't really been allowed to, hmm. but, um, I have always liked his work in the Nero Wolf series from the early two thousands, <laughs> which he, it sounds like he was instrumental in, in putting together, hmm. uh, as That's well cool. as acting in it. And I think he directed a few of the episodes. Um, but yeah, he's marvelous in it. So the film won best picture director supporting actor and screenplay and then it was nominated for best actress for mary tyler moore and supporting actor for jed hirsch and um and i maybe not director but like i'm fine with it winning pic picture i'm fine with it winning supporting actor again even though i think he's a lead it's fine at least he's getting a uh, an award for that a really wonderful performance because the film really is on his shoulders yeah and he is our it's weird he's our entry point into this world even though his experiences are such that we can't really relate to them. Like, yes, okay, so he lost a brother, and people can relate to grief, but the way that he lost him, it's like, well, he feels directly responsible for it. Not everybody can relate to that. And then he tries to kill himself, and f even fewer people can relate to that. And yet, somehow, the fact that this is our most relatable character yeah. uh, should say something about the world that we're looking yeah. at. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's a really good movie. I highly recommend it. Looking at these other Best Picture nominees, uh, Raging Bull, The Elephant Man, Coal Miner's Daughter, and Tess. I have not seen Coal Miner's Daughter. I have not seen Tess. I haven't seen them either. Um, Tess is a Roman Polanski film, so I'm sure it's probably pretty good. Um, 
that the Criterion I, Collection now? I feel like it is. It might be. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. I've, I feel like he's one of those guys that they try to latch on to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen Raging Bull. Talked about that already. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of The Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. I've always I've it's really loved that. Um, it's a David Lynch film that you know. Uh, it looks like a David Lynch film, and sometimes it feels like a David Lynch film. But when you look at the at the uh, the material, it doesn't seem like David Lynch material. This seems more yeah. like the straight story, yeah. David Lynch, than you know, Twin, uh, Twin Peaks or uh, Blue Velvet. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I really love the Elephant Man. Um, I under I respect Raging Bull a lot, and I still acknowledge that it's a really wonderfully made film. Mm-hmm. Um, so of those, and again, I feel bad that I haven't seen the other two, but of those, um, I, I'm certainly fine with ordinary people winning. If somebody wanted to give it to Raging Bull, I'd be fine with that. If somebody wanted mm. to give it to Elephant Man, I'd be fine with that. What? Who directed The Coal Miner's Daughter? I don't know much. I do not recall. I don't know much about that movie, if anything. I believe Sissy Spacek is in it. That's all I've got. Okay. Um, hmm. But yeah, and I will actually, I'm going to, I'm, I'm typing it in right now. <laughs> You're looking it up? All right. Okay. Yeah. Sissy Spacek is in it. Tommy Lee Jones is in it. Uh, oh, Michael Apted. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, who made the Up series, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's a singer. Yeah. She's a uh, Loretta Lynn. She's Loretta Lynn. Oh, yeah. okay. I, was, I was about to say like, so she's a Loretta Lynn type. <laughs> uh, yes. She's very much she's, a Loretta, Loretta Lynn type. She's the Loretta Lynn type. So, um, but yeah, and I've heard good things about that. I've heard good things about Tess. Um, but yeah, so I'm actually, I would be, f- if, if Elephant Man had won, if Raging Bull had won, if or, and then Ordinary People winning, I'm fine with any of those. Hmm. Um, so looking at other notable 1980 releases, uh, a lot of really, a lot of really great movies came out this year. Um, a lot of memorable movies came out this year. Yeah. Maybe not a lot of movies. That are like best, best picture, picture material. material, yeah. Um, with the exception of the stuntman, which mm. uh, did you see it? Mm-mm, I, I love it. One. I think it's absolutely marvelous. It was nominated for director, but not picture. Um, it's got Peter O'Toole. It is a strange, strange little movie, but boy, do I love it. Hmm. Um, so, uh, listeners, go and watch the stuntman. Uh, it will at some point be the companion film for the master. If I, when mm. the day, when the day comes <laughs> and I feel brave enough to talk about it. Um, but yeah, so a, f- a few, uh, 1980 movies, the empire strikes back, the shining <laughs> stardust memories, uh, so airplane, the blues brothers, caddyshack. I can't believe those three movies came out the same year. Airplane Which, blues brothers and caddyshack. Yeah. Those are like, Oh yeah, three iconic comedies of that time. Um, uh, Friday the Thirteenth came out that year. Yeah. I'm a big fan of The Long Good Friday, which is a, a British gangster film that mm. kind of introduced people to Bob Hoskins. Hmm. Uh, Popeye came out that year, <laughs> um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a really good year. And of course, you get stuff like I mean, Empire Strikes Back, yeah, which I mean, Star Wars was nominated. Mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back is, if nothing else, a more serious film. Yeah. And so, but I, I mean, I don't think that it's like, I feel like the Academy is like, we already nominated Star Wars. <laughs> We're not going to nominate the sequel to Star Wars, <laughs> even though, according to some, maybe even me, Empire mm-hmm. Strikes Back is a better movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get The Shining, which I've never, I respond to the, pardon me, I respond to the atmosphere a mm-hmm. lot. Um, 
because Kubrick just really creates a sense of dread. I've never found the film scary. Really? I've never really liked Nicholson in it. I've never found him frightening. Like that film just does not work for me. I, hmm. I respect it as far as the, I don't know. I do like, I own it because I feel like I'm wrong. <laughs> like there's something I, when I watched room 237, I was like, I better watch the shining again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has never done anything for me. And then there are some people like, oh, that movie was robbed. And it's like, I, I sure, I guess so. Some yeah. people think, you know, BP voters, uh, v- BP listeners voted at the, the best horror movie of all time. Yeah. Um, Which I you, you are frightened with. by it. I right? am. And I think, I don't know. I like that one a lot. I, I, I might like it more as a movie than as a horror movie, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think it's, a, I, think somehow the way it works is a horror movie and i feel like it kind of straddles the line between there's a lot of the stuff that happens now that's uh i've been calling sort of ambient horror which i think is kind of a big thing in the last yeah. few years but i think it it is born of uh kubrick and uh and lynch movies i think some kind of fusion of the two uh and this this one feels the shining is one of the ones that feels the most like that. There's a weird atmosphere the whole time. Yeah. You don't really understand exactly what's wrong and it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Things just feel off, but something's wrong. And yeah, yeah, I I think that's really cool. And, uh, the way he uses color in that movie. Um, it's, yeah, it's visually a marvelous film. It's just, I find those children terrifying. Really? Yes. Yeah. But you hate children. Well, that's true. You know, um, Oh yeah. Oops. I feel, Oh, spoilers. Everybody. Josh hates children. Yeah. Sorry about that. Everyone. So, um, and I got four. Yeah. And you hate every last one of them. Every last Each one. more than the last. <laughs> um, and then you're a big fan of Stardust Memories. Stardust Memories is one of my favorite Woody Allen movies. It might be in my top three of his. I appreciate what he's trying to do, but it's, you know, mm. it's kind of, it's, like that's kind of his Fellini film, right? Like that. It yeah. Seems oh to yeah. Be that, there, a lot of it is, uh, bare bald faced, uh, yeah. references to Fellini. There's yeah. a, there's a reference to the, to the dream at the dream sequence at the beginning oh, that's of, right. yes, uh, yes. of, uh, eight and a half. Um, but I think I, I, one of the things that I like about it is I think it's doing what eight and a half does, but it's applying it more specifically to him and to comedy, especially, mm-hmm. which is, that's one of the things that I like about it. It's one of my favorite movies about comedy because, um, I think this happens to a lot of comedy filmmakers is they feel like they're not making serious work yeah, and they feel like somehow they, they should be making more serious work. That is maybe the reason that he made interiors in the first place. Yeah. Um, as a, a filmmaker who loved Bergman, uh, but makes these, makes stuff like bananas, you know, like I feel like somehow he felt like real film was more serious and, uh, this Stardust Memories is kind of wrestling with that, which I, that's one of the things I really like about it. It's, it's similar in that way to Sullivan's Travels, if you, if you've seen that oh, one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, I go, I, uh, listeners know because they heard a long ago episode with, uh, Robert Hornack in which we talk about Woody Allen in general. Um, I have a, I won't even say love and hate, but I have a push pull relationship with Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's when he's marvelous, uh, I love it. But then there are times when I feel like he's a little bit distanced from the material. Certainly not this though. Like mm-hmm. he's very yeah. invested in this material. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a very it's it's a very good movie. One that I don't necessarily respond to because it's worth noting. I also did not respond to eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, which is weird because it's very much the internal life of a character, yeah. which you would think I would like. And maybe in other movies I have liked it, mm-hmm. but maybe not necessarily this one. So. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I already mentioned the stunt man, but yeah, so it's a lot of really great movies that we still watch, uh, came out in 1980, but I feel like none of them are necessarily best picture type of movies with the exception maybe of the stunt man. And honestly, like, you know, we, we do sometimes talk about, um, if this, if 1980 were today mm-hmm. or if there was a similar sensibility, uh, empire strikes back might've been nominated. Yeah. Um, you know, crowd pleaser made a lot of money and also, uh, built on the original film that people loved and expanded it, uh, certainly emotionally expanded it. Yeah. There was a lot going on in that film. And so, um, but yeah, by and large, uh, you know, ordinary people, if somebody wanted to, if someone said, Hey, I'm going to watch ordinary people, I would probably say, well, prepare yourself emotionally cause it's pretty rough. Uh, but absolutely see it. Yeah. I um, think I'd say the same. So, okay, we will leave it there. Um, Yeah, we'll just leave it there. Josh, thanks for being here. (laughs) You're welcome. And thank you guys for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.